Thank you for downloading this episode of Software Gone Wild, a podcast focused on everything software defined. To get more episodes and explore other SDN and network automation resources, visit sdn.ipspace.net. Welcome to a transport edition of Software Gone Wild. Whenever I was rambling about the deficiency of Socket API and TCP IP protocol stack, someone was always quick to write an answer, but multipath TCP solves that. It turns out that in many cases, people didn't know what they were writing about because while multipath TCP does solve some problems, it doesn't bring peace to Middle East and it's not aspirate. So let's figure out what multipath TCP really is. And today we have two engineers who actually work with this beast in real life. Let's start in alphabetical order with Christoph Pasch, software engineer at Apple. Welcome. Hello. So Christoph, what are you doing at Apple and how did you stumble upon multipath TCP? Yeah, at Apple itself, I'm a software engineer working on the networking stack of iOS, macOS, and all products. And I'm mostly focusing on the transport layer, among which is MPTCP and other technologies, well, TCP in general, and general TCP extensions. So trying to make things go faster, more reliable, and in general, better. How did I stumble across multipath TCP? So that actually happened several years ago. That's when in uh, 2010, I started a PhD in Belgium at the UCL Louvain uh, under the direction of Olivier Bonavorture, where I was basically assigned to work on uh, multipath TCP and improving its Linux kernel implementation. And so that's where I started my passion and or discovered my passion on uh, MPTCP and I started working on it and have been working on it uh, ever since. Thank you. And as you might probably stumble on Olivier before I do, please say hi. Yes, of course, I will. They're doing so many great things at University of Louvain, and I always love when they come out with the next down-to-earth article explaining how they do another crazy thing. Like, I particularly love that one. What was it? Flowbender, right? Where they would change load balancing across ECMP fabric by tweaking TTL field. I think so, yeah. I haven't read that particular article, but yeah, all year's team, they always come up with great ideas and then also a good implementation. Yeah, that's what I love about that team because they're always down to earth. They actually produce something that works. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Our second guest is Matt Martineau from Open Source Technology Center at Intel. Welcome, Matt. And I would have to ask you, why is Intel interested in multipath TCP? <laughs> I was kind of expecting that question. So just as part of the open source technology center, you know, we have kind of broad charter to be active in the community and, and help move things like the, the Linux kernel forward in terms of the networking stack and its capabilities. And, you know, at times we're helping teams inside Intel with specific projects. And in other cases, we're doing things that are broadly applicable to, you know, helping our data center business, you know, having server technology be capable and addressing the needs of uh, Intel users. So I think a lot of it is from that, that broader perspective right now. And 
you know, we see it as a good feature for the TCP stack in the Linux kernel to have. Ah, so you're working on Linux kernel implementation of multipath TCP. That's right. It's not in the smart mix yet. <laughs> no. So yeah, the team I'm part of is more involved with the kernel than the driver layers and the, the Nix. And with us, as always, is Chris Young. Uh, welcome, Chris. And what did you automate this week? I wish I could automate it. I have one expense report left before I'm done for the year. So do I. Can we automate them? Yeah. Let me know if you find that out. Uh, but, but we're almost done. And what better way to start a vacation than multipath TCP? That's it. Okay. So let's start with the basics. What is multipath TCP and why should I care? What multipath TCP tries to address is that nowadays many devices, the smartphones, for example, all have multiple interfaces. They have a Wi-Fi interface, they have a cellular interface, they have Bluetooth, right? And it's not only limited to smartphones. In general, the whole internet is multipath. Basically, it has all different ways to get to a certain destination. You take the data center with ECMP and the whole data center topology. There's basically almost an infinity of paths from one server to the other when you go through the topology of the data center. You take smartwatches nowadays, they have cell and Wi-Fi. Even your laptop has Ethernet and Wi-Fi. And so back in, when was it, 2008, then basically a group of researchers started to realize, hey, we are actually not using all those paths and we should actually try to use them in the most efficient way. And so that's how Multipath TCP came out by trying to basically address that problem and use all of this path diversity for a single connection. And if I remember correctly, iOS, not Cisco iOS, the other iOS, was one of the first implementations on the end-user devices. So how is iOS using multipath TCP, and why is it good that it's using multipath TCP? Yes, sure. Of course, I can't give too many details about the how we are using it, because Apple is very secretive and likes to keep its things to itself. But I can tell you, so for Siri, basically, it was in 2013, uh, the Siri team realized that many people actually use Siri while they are walking out of their home. For example, they start walking and then they ask Siri, hey, give me directions to work or call somebody or things like that. And so as you are walking out of your home, you are walking away from your Wi-Fi access point. And as you are walking away from your Wi-Fi access point, the signal gets worse and worse. It gets more lossy. The latency increases. But the device usually still holds on to Wi-Fi because it wants to minimize the cellular data usage. And also because Wi-Fi is typically better. But the problem is that Siri already started a connection over Wi-Fi. And so it can't complete basically the requests anymore. And so it needs to seamlessly hand over the connection to cellular. And multipath TCP is perfect for that. It is able to take the connection, evaluate performance on Wi-Fi, and on a per-packet basis, basically send the traffic over cellular and always use the best one. So you're effectively using multipath TCP for session persistence when switching between multiple transport paths. Yes, that's right. That is probably, at the moment, one of the most prominent use cases is for persistence as people are losing their Wi-Fi connectivity. And just out of curiosity, is this functionality limited to Siri? 
Or can any iOS developer just use system calls and instead of TCP start using multipath TCP? So yes, actually, when 2017, last year, basically, we opened up the API to use multipath TCP in iOS. It's not a socket level API. It's a higher layer API because for different reasons, because basically on our platform, we want to promote more higher layer APIs instead of the socket layer APIs. But yes, any developer nowadays can actually start using multipath TCP. That was with iOS 11 moving forward, right? Yes, that was iOS 11. That's right. Okay. So please forget all my remarks about Mac keyboards before. I love you guys. You're doing the right thing. <laughs> and now for the rhetorical question that probably doesn't need an answer. Why are we still talking about large layer two segments in uh, campus networks for Wi-Fi roaming if we could just solve the problem with uh, multipath TCP? Why are we still talking about those? I think one of the problems is what multipath TCP isn't yet widely deployed. One of the reasons for that is because on the server side, we are still lacking the widespread support for it. And that is something that is kind of what Matt and I and several other people are trying to address by bringing multipath TCP into the Linux kernel. Okay, so let's make the next step. We have multipath TCP on the edge devices and the developers can use it, but is it in Linux kernel? Can I use it in Linux kernel? Right. That's kind of where the history of the projects we're involved with comes into play. So the, there is a multipath tcp.org has a implementation of the Linux kernel, which is, you know, based of Olivier Bonaventure's group at University of Louvain in Belgium, where Christoph worked on it and it's still actively involved with maintaining it. But as of, you know, right now, that's been a, a fork of the Linux kernel that people can pick up and use and Christoph and colleagues, you know, do work to maintain it and move it forward as the, the upstream Linux kernel does. But it represents extra work compared to having it as part of the upstream kernel where everybody developing new TCP features needs to take it into account and not break it and those kind of things. So having that multipath functionality in the upstream kernel goes a long ways toward making it easy for people to you know, have the feature built into their distribution or, you know, be able to easily turn on that feature. So right now, is multipath TCP still a fork that you have to merge with the mainstream kernel if you want to use it, or is it already in the mainstream kernel? It's not yet in the mainstream kernel. So that's the project that I'm actively working on and, and you know, in partnership with Christoph and a few people from other companies like Red Hat and Tesseras. So we have a kind of a community effort to take ideas from the existing implementation, take ideas of, you know, taking a step back and looking at what are the kernel maintainers going to find an acceptable balance between the changes multipath TCP needs to make versus, you know, not breaking TCP for the rest of the internet <laughs> and come up with a design that will work for the maintainers, will, will be maintainable from a software engineering perspective and be something that integrates well with the code. Yeah, please don't break TCP for the rest of the internet. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you are effectively trying to massage the implementation into something that the mainstream Linux community would feel comfortable with. Exactly. 
Well, maybe not exactly. I mean, we were taking the existing implementation and kind of paring down the feature set so that it's kind of a, a minimal footprint to adapt architecture-wise to fit the upstream kernel. And we've also been making an effort to sort of build some pieces from scratch to validate some ideas kind of, again, with a smaller set of code to verify that the approach is going to work. And then we need to kind of merge those two to an upstream patch set that we can send to the NetDev mailing list and and then work on getting that reviewed and merged. And it still has to survive Linus's personal scrutiny, right? Yeah, we have several layers of maintainers to go through. There's TCP maintainer, network maintainer, and Linus himself, yes. Okay, now before we go into the details of how this thing works and why it might break the regular TCP implementation, which we all hope you won't do, there is another use case for multipath TCP in data center, I was told. If you have servers with multiple uplinks and these uplinks have different IP addresses, then in theory, you could use multipath TCP across all of them instead of MLAC or whatever crazy layer two stuff we are using in data centers today. Is that true? Yes, that's absolutely true. There have been a few research papers that evaluated that on how multipath TCP could perform in data centers, not only by using different IP addresses, even by just benefiting from ECMP, basically, which is load balancing different layer four flows across different links. So you could even, by using the same IP addresses, just create different TCP subflows, which would then be bundled together in one MPTCP connection. And those different TCP subflows would be using, thanks to the ECMP in the data center, you would be using different paths. And then it would be basically bundling the capacity of the whole data center and perform much better. And there have been a few research papers that have shown how that works and how the data center could benefit. Unfortunately, as far as I know, there haven't been yet any deployments in data centers at a real scale. Apart maybe from those people that have the event horizon around them, right? So nothing ever leaks in the open about what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true as well. Okay, so you already mentioned the subflows. If I understood correctly, multipath TCP is effectively the capability to open multiple TCP sessions and present them to the like upper boundary of the TCP stack, the socket API, if you wish, as one TCP connection. How far off am I? I'd say you're basically right on there. I mean, it, to the application layer, it looks like a, a single connection. And at the other end of the stack, so to the routers in between two devices, you know, what they see is multiple TCP connections with some TCP options populated with extra sequence numbers. You know, as you get into the details, there's a lot more about how do you manage connections and decide what data goes in which subflow and that kind of thing. But I'd say you, you had a really good summary there. Okay, yeah, that's the first interesting question that always pops up. How do you know which packets to put into which subflow? And how do you make sure that a subflow that is blocked because of retransmission or something is installing data that should be sent to the other end? That's a good question. To decide on which subflow to send, it's basically a local decision, right? The device, the implementation of MPTCP includes what we call a 
a scheduler. And this scheduler is basically for every single packet that it is or segment of data that it is sending is deciding, is evaluating the performance of both subflows and then decides whether on send it on one or the other. And there are many different ways on how to do it. And the decisions of how to do it have a huge impact on performance and on also, like, well, how basically the data is being used over the different interfaces. But that means that you need another framing format and another set of sequence numbers inside the TCP sessions so that you can reassemble the packets at the other end, right? Yes, that's right. So basically, MBTCP is trying to behave like a regular TCP connection, which means a reliable byte stream model. And so even if the byte stream is split up in different segments and send it across different TCP subflows, on the receiver side, the receiver needs to be able to reconstruct the byte stream, even if those segments come out of order. And so it has a secondary, as you say, it has a secondary sequence number space which basically allows the receiver to rebuild the whole byte stream and then present it correctly to the application. Ah, so you are just adding another sequence number to the TCP header. So you're not, let's say, bundling packets into one packet and inserting extra headers saying these are segments X to Y. You're just adding another set of sequence numbers. Yes, you can look at it like that. There's basically a second sequence number space that is sitting at the multipath TCP layer, and these sequence numbers are signaled as part of TCP options. The reason why it is being done like that is because there are many different ways on how multipath could be implemented or and deployed as a protocol. One naive way would be basically I use one sequence number space, create different TCP connections, but use the same sequence numbers on both. Right. The problem with that approach is that basically the TCP connections would have holes in their sequence number space. And so middle boxes might not be happy with that. And so we make each TCP connection look like a, just a normal TCP connection. So from a middle box on the firewall, the point of view, it just looks like nothing special. And to be able to signal the secondary sequence number space that is at the MPTCP layer, we are basically adding TCP options that allow then to the receiver to basically reconstruct the byte stream. And hopefully the middle boxes don't drop those TCP options or modify them or anything. Yeah, that was my next question. What's your experience with middle boxes? From my experience, and that's not only from multipass TCP, also other extensions like TCP fast open and so on, ECN, middle boxes will basically do whatever they can to mess around with you. <laughs> so they can basically, it goes from removing TCP option to changing them to modifying sequence numbers, modifying the window to literally black holing your whole connections, black holing the client, just dropping the connectivity entirely. It can go as far as you can imagine, and then it can all go even beyond that. <laughs> um, and so MPTCP has a lot of logic to basically handle those kind of things, to basically always fall back to a safe alternative, which is basically normal TCP. Okay, so if you discover that a middle box is dropping TCP options, you just fall back to regular TCP. 
Yes, that's right. We detect that and immediately fall back to regular TCP. So the goal is of MPTCP is to always be at least as good as TCP, which means we just fall back immediately. And so there's no cost paid for the user in the sense of additional latency or reduced throughput or anything like that. Which brings us to another interesting point. How is multipath TCP session established? If I remember correctly, it all starts as a regular TCP session, right? Yes, absolutely. So it starts as a regular TCP session and includes an option in the SYN segment. This option basically signals to the server, hey, I would like to use multipath TCP. And the server, if he agrees to that, and if he supports multipath TCP, he will basically reply in the SYNAC with another option, and also which is basically called the MP-capable option. This option also includes the key that will later on allow it to basically join multiple TCP connections together. So once this handshake is done, data can basically start flowing from the client to the server and back. This additional sequence number space I mentioned earlier will then also be included inside the TCP options. And from now on, the client or even the server is able to create a secondary TCP connection. And this TCP connection will basically include another MPTCP option in the SYN, which is called the MPJoin. And the MPJoin has a token that is based the key that I mentioned earlier. And this token is basically unique for the server. So when the server receives this regular SYN with the MPJoin option, he basically extracts the token out of the packet and then starts a lookup in its state machine and tries to find the corresponding MPTCP connection. And that way, it's basically merging the previous initial TCP connection and the new TCP connection together into one and can basically start receiving data over both. So if some crazy middle box in the middle drops the TCP options from the initial scene packet, you just won't be able to establish multipath TCP. So it will look like the server is not multipath TCP capable. Yes. And if the middle box is killing the packet, then you're probably using something like happy eyeballs and trying to establish two sessions at the same time or something like that. I'm just guessing here. Yes, yes. So middle boxes removing the MPTCP options are relatively common. We see it in roughly 5% of the connections. We see basically that we end up with regular TCP which still means that 95% we have a success rate. But Middlebox is literally dropping the whole packet just because there's an MPTCP option. It's fairly rare. So we actually are very rarely have to do this happy eyeball thing. So uh, it seems to be fairly reliable. You have 95% success rate over public internet right now with uh, this? Yes, that's right. Wow, okay. I'm putting together this mental model in my head and I'm going, okay, so I've got, needs to be on the client side, needs to be on the server side. No servers really support it. It's not in the normal kernel, so you have to kind of custom compile your kernel, which means there's going to be limited on that, and then middle boxes are playing with it. 95%, that's insane. That's much, much, much better than I expected. I was feeling very let down, going, there's no way this is going to work. You're rebuilding the plane while we're flying it. How that? <laughs> yeah, 95 Well, I mean, that is a number, of course, only talking to servers where we know that they support MPTCP is already we take this variable out of the game. 
But still, yeah, 95% of the paths don't have a middle box or a firewall that's messing around with us. And I think part of that just shows the years of effort <laughs> that have gone into the RFC to establish the standard and, and thinking through kind of all these problems that they'd run into. So what that's been going on, I think it was first standardized in 2013 and kind of working toward a major revision right now in the IETF, right, Christoph? Yes, absolutely. The first standard was in the experimental standard, and now we are moving towards the standard strike version at the ITF, which is basically then the official standard of multipath TCP. But yeah, we are working also a lot with middlebox vendors to convince them to not drop the options that we would like to see. So you already are on the standard strike. Yes, that's right. It's going to be uh, done very soon. The document is in working group last call and should be finalized in the coming months. And from that moment on, the working, the ITF working group is basically done and can go on and solve new problems. So yeah, if anyone wants to look that up, it's RFC 6824 and 6824 bis is the revision Christoph's referring to. Yeah, it will have whatever RFC number. Oh, by the way, if it gets published before we publish the podcast, I'll just include the link to the new RFC in the show notes. Now, coming back to the moment where either a client or a server decide that additional session might be needed, how is that decision made? Obviously, in Siri case, you say, well, it might be a good idea to have connection open on both interfaces just in case. Or you might say, well, Wi-Fi is getting really bad. Let's make sure that we don't drop the session so you start opening the connection on the mobile internet. Or how is this thing done in practice? Well, there's the concept in MPTCP called path management, where, you know, there's a, a variety of, of ways to determine, you know, which combinations of connections you're interested in. You can have different categories like, say, You've got a server on one end and on the other end, the device has multiple interfaces. You can just do like one path per pair of IP addresses. So for example, from the, say a phone's LTE interface to one server IP address and their Wi-Fi to the same server IP address. Now, if you had two interfaces on either side, you could have four possible connections is, is kind of the maximum. And then there's variety of approaches in between. So it sounds like multipath IO with iSCSI, right? You establish multiple sessions and then you have something like path management that makes sure that the sessions are measured and utilized correctly. I'm not as familiar with that iSCSI implementation, but it, it is it sounds sounds similar, right? Surface level sounds similar, yeah. The other interesting detail I totally get how you have a, let's say, Wi-Fi connection to a server and then you establish an LTE connection to the same IP address to the same server. But what if the server has two interfaces, like within the data center? How do you know that you can use the second interface as well? Well, that's another thing that the TCP option payload can carry. So, you know, there's one TCP option number for MPTCP to use. And then, you know, within that, there are kind of subtypes, suboptions for what communicated. And so one of the things, so you establish an initial connection to a server. Once you have that on any of the packets that are coming back to you, 
the server can send add option that add address option that will say, oh, by the way, I've got these additional addresses that you can connect to. And then it's up to the client device to choose which one it initiates a connection to. But that obviously works only if you don't have net in the middle, right? So if you don't have what in the middle? Sorry, I didn't quite catch. Network address translation. Oh, yeah, NAT. Okay, yeah. Right, so it has to know to advertise a reachable address. And optionally, you know, port number. So I guess if you know what to advertise in order to, you know, that someone on the publicly routable internet will know. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be the public internet necessarily. You know, whatever network, wherever the other device is trying to connect to you, you know, if it's got an IP address port number combination that it can use to call you back on whatever interface, then that that's adequate. Uh, so in principle, the server sitting behind a load balancer, for example, could advertise not its own IP address, but the public IP address of the load balancer in front of it. Right. Hopefully the load balancer is aware of multipath to get the packets to the right, you know, to the same server <laughs> that uh, is advertising it. Which brings me to the next question. How do we fix the load balancer so that all the multipath TCP sessions toward the same server are actually landing on the same server? So I'm actually looking in the background and it appears that both F5 and Citrix have implementations. Yes, that's right. Both F5 and Citrix, they are implementing MPTCP. In terms of load balancer, those are basically layer 7 load balancers, which are entirely terminating the whole session. and so. They are basically exposing a single VIP. But if, for example, you have multiple Linux boxes behind a single, basically, switch, which is basically a VIP that is being hosted, and all those servers have the same VIP, there would be a, there's a few ways on how to make that work. One of the ways would be basically make the switch understand how MPTCP actually works and make sure that so that the switch can actually route the different TCP subflows to the same server. That would mean basically that the switch needs to change and needs to understand MPTCP. Another way would be if you give basically a unicast IP to the different servers. And so you, the clients could basically create the initial TCP connection by using the public VIP. And then the load balancer will basically pick a server and the connection would land on this particular server. And then the server will announce to the client with this option that mentioned earlier, would basically announce its secondary unicast IP to the client, and then the client can basically use that for all the other subflows. Ah, so the first deployment model is really because we are running a layer 7 proxy, and it can be F5 or Citrix, or if you wish, you can do this on Nginx or Varnish or HA proxy or whoever. As long as the TCP session is terminated on the middle box and the middle box supports multipath TCP, we're good to go. We don't even need multipath TCP support on the server behind it. That's right, yeah. And the second one is more when you're doing like ECMP type load balancing, maybe on some very fast switch like the content providers love to do. And then obviously it's somewhat hard to tell that hardware switch to keep the flow state for every individual multipath TCP session. So 
the better idea would be to advertise different IPs from the servers. And so the first session goes to the common address and second session goes to the specific address. Yes, absolutely. That would be a good way to deploy MPTSP in such a content provider network. The good the side effect is also of that is that the secondary TCP subflows would not actually need to go through the load balancer anymore. So it could even be from a cost perspective, it could mean that you can basically buy a smaller switch or load balancer that is sitting on front of the service because he will be able to or he will need to carry less traffic. So that's a nice side effect of this deployment. Yeah, that was exactly my next question. Can the server somehow persuade the client to open the second session to the real IP address and just drop the first one? Yes, absolutely. He can do that. He just needs to announce to the client, hey, use the other address, and then he kills the original connection after some time and after the secondary subflow is stable. And there you go. Yeah, that's part of the the multipath signaling is that you can mark certain subflows as backup and say, oh, you, you know, you really should use those other ones, you know, primarily for sending, and this one is here to fall back to. So I could see that being used to, uh, you know, kind of convince the other side to uh, behave differently. Uh, so even with primary backup flag set correctly, you could shift most of the traffic onto the secondary flow, even though the primary flow would still need some session state inside the load balancer. Right, or... You know, multipath is robust enough that, you know, once you have that secondary flow up, the initial one could even be disconnected. And then you can ask the device to open the second one directly to the server, just so you have two, right? Yeah. This sounds cool. When will we see this in production? Well, that's part of the magic of open source, (laughs) the uh, (laughs) non-deterministic project planning, I guess. So, you know, we have multiple sets of code that we're, we're working to merge and move ahead with sending to the upstream maintainers to, to try to get their review. And so we, we've got kind of our, you know, the first step is to come up with patch set that we want to share at that level. We do have a contributor who's sharing with some building blocks, kind of some code for multipath TCP to build on that will hopefully get merged into the upstream kernel first and and that'll be useful for some other parts of the networking stack and then uh you know we can build on that get something upstream kernel and then there's all the back and forth if they have suggestions or requirements for you know how to uh modify things to uh meet their performance requirements or their expectations for how the architecture fits in and then you know hopefully we get a limited implementation that kind of meets the common server use cases in you know get that going next year, you know, in the new year. And from there, you know, once we have a foothold in the upstream kernel, start adding features like being able to configure a scheduler or path manager or all the knobs and dials to really fine-tune multipath TCP operation, you know, going forward. There's a lot of work to there to do that I would imagine. Reaching kind of feature parity with, with the multipath TCP.org kernel would, you know, potentially take years. So, uh, so. Joking, you have to get the Trojan horse in first. (laughs) But on the other hand, if someone wants to start playing with this or even might consider deploying it, because obviously Apple had to deploy it to get it into the client side as well, 
how could you do that? Can you just take forked kernel from the MPTCP website and start it and go with it? Or is it more complex than that? Yes, in general, all you need to do is you go take the forked kernel. We have binary images compiled for Red Hat and Debian packages. And from that moment on, you just install it on your server, preferably and then have basically a proxy or HTTP server on top of it. And from that moment on, you can use multipath TCP and it will work. So effectively, I don't even need to recompile the kernel. I just take your binary for, let's say, Red Hat. I replace the original Red Hat kernel with your kernel. I reload the box. Either it crashes or I have multipath TCP. Exactly. That's, that's a good description. Yes. That's basically what you have to do for the most simple deployment where you don't want to control many things. And yeah, you just put it on the server and there you go. From that moment on, you then can make some decisions on which path manager to use, which scheduler to use and so on. But usually we recommend to use the default schedulers because it's basically the most efficient one. In terms of path manager, currently there's the what we call the full mesh path manager, which means if you put it on two servers and both servers have, let's say, each server has three IP addresses, that means MPTCP will create a full mesh across all IP addresses that are available between those two servers. And so it would create a total of nine TCP flows. So for some use cases, the full mesh path manager is good enough. For some, it's probably not the right thing to do. So there's going to be a, a more configurable path manager that will can be steered through a Netlink interface. And this one is hopefully going to land soon in the upstream kernel by, and is going to be uh, provided by uh, Tessares, which is a startup that is working a lot on multipath TCP and deploying uh, new use cases. And so once this path manager, this Netlink path manager, is in the code, it will basically allow a user to write a little daemon that would control how the different TCP connections, TCP subflows, would be established for every single MPTCP connection. I think, Christoph, you said upstream kernel there, but it's the, it's the multipathtcp.org kernel. Yes, you're referring to, right? Okay. <laughs> no, it is the upstream kernel, but the other upstream. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It gets a little bit confusing with all the different upstreams that there are. <laughs> So effectively, those guys are working on a fork of a fork. Yes, to some extent, yes. It's a fork of a fork. <laughs> and one thing I'd like to note about the, the multipathtcp.org kernel is that the kind of typical configuration of that is that every TCP socket will, you know, every outbound connection you make would advertise multipath capability, you know, attempt to form multipath connections, and every TCP socket becomes a multipath socket. And that is uh, different from what we're looking at on the upstream side, which would be to, you know, in, in that sort of we don't want to break TCP category, you know, leave leave TCP by default as TCP alone, and then applications would opt in to multipath. But with the multipath TCP.org kernel, the typical configuration, like everything would have that potential to be a multipath connection. Perfect. So now if anyone wants to play with this stuff, we know how easy it is. And by the way, as always, if you don't understand the nerd knobs, don't touch them. Now, before we wrap up, Chris, any more questions? Why would I not want to use 
multipath TCP. It seems that we're talking about all this great stuff, and, and if you have it in the kernel, applications don't even have to worry about it. They'll just use it. But are there any negative, what are the drawbacks? This all sounds rainbow and sunshine and goodness, and it's awesome, but there's always a price. Well, one of the prices is just the TCP option payload can be large-ish, <laughs> you know, take up a fair amount of the TCP option capacity that then you don't have available for other things. I, I don't know to what degree it's competing with things like Selective Act and, and whatnot, but it increases the size of the headers, which has, you know, an impact on data throughput. And it, it involves some overhead if it's a capability that an application doesn't need. Obviously, it's multipath PCP, so there's no benefits at all to anything UDP-based at all. Right. UDP might feel bad. That's the other uh, drawback. Well, yeah, I mean, actually, the you know UDP wouldn't, doesn't even touch the you know this part of the stack, so it would still be its own thing. I hope that one day we will be in a situation where all connections by default are using multipath TCP and we'll be able to benefit from it. I hope eventually we're going to get there. Well, it seems like you guys have done a lot of great work, so thank you. Thank you for that. Exactly. Thanks a million for this podcast and all the great work you did so far on Multipath TCP. And yeah, I would also wish that we would finally get to the point where this would be standard and we would actually have something semi-resembling a session layer in the TCP IP protocol stack. In the meantime, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Do you blog somewhere? Are you on GitHub? How can people contact you if they wish to? Let's start with Christoph. Yeah, basically there's the multipathtcp.org website where we have links to the mailing lists and also pointers to how to get on the GitHub to ask questions. It's usually the best to just connect to the mailing list mptcp-dev if the questions are specific to MPTCP or the Linux kernel implementation. We also have an, another mailing list that is dedicated basically to the upstreaming and there can people can ask questions. So if somebody wants to reach out to me, it's best through the mailing list. Thank you. Yeah, and our upstreaming mailing list is mptcp at lists.01.org. Zero one being the digits. <laughs> And I guess that's also the best way to get in touch with you, Matt. That's right. Perfect. Chris, how can people find you and your automation projects? At NetmanChris on Twitter is probably the uh, best way. Or uh, alternately, I've got at HomeKitGeek, which is a separate, more focused on the home automation stuff. And that's, uh, yeah, those are probably the best ones. That's... And on that second one, you described how you automated the hotel lamp, right? Well, it wasn't just the lamp, it was motion sensors and, and light strips, and yeah, it was, yeah. So, Christoph and Matt, if you ever get bored in a hotel, Chris has some ideas what you could do to mess up with other people when they walk into your room. <laughs> awesome. And you've been listening to Software Gone Wild, I'm Ivan Pepelniak. You can find me at ipspace.net, and if you want to download more episodes like this, just go to ipspace.net slash podcast and start exploring. Thanks for being with us and go and deploy MPTCP in at least in your lab, if not in your production network. Thank you for listening to this episode of Software Gone Wild. 
If you want to learn more about software-defined networking, network automation, and related topics, visit sdn.ipspace.net and explore our courses, books, webinars, and podcasts.